0: What's going on, everyone? Maiko back with another episode of Hobby Talk. Appreciate you taking some time to listen to the show. Really happy to be joined by Ray from Philly today as we talk about the 2019 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class. Ray, how you doing tonight?
1: Mike, I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those really fun days during the course of the year if you're a baseball fan. You know, it's something that we kind of start thinking about. Following the World Series, and then you know as you get closer, and as the ballots go out, and they start filing in, following them now on the tracker, uh, it's it's really it's really fun to uh, to follow to see which players get immortalized, get elected to the Hall of Fame, and of course that all uh, coincides with. All the products out there, all the cards, part of this wonderful hobby that we both enjoy of baseball card collecting and autograph collecting and. Everything that has to do with that. It's, it's fun to, uh, kind of go pick up the rookie cards you don't have and, uh, kind of look forward, try and grab some rookies before the guys are elected and the cards maybe bump up a little bit. Uh, it's definitely, uh, it's a ton of fun. I know, I know you're a fan of it. I know it's one of your favorite aspects of the hobby is collecting Hall of Famers. So what did you think of this 2019 class?
1: Well, I was very happy uh, of the guys that got inducted in. Um, I think they were deserved, deserved to get in Mariana Rivera and definitely the greatest relief pitcher of all time deserved to get in Roy Halliday, a totally dominating pitcher for a 10 year stretch the best, best pitcher in the game for that 10 year period. And it was nice to see Edgar Martinez get in on the final year of eligibility for the ballot and, um, Mike Mistina squeaking in. Um, very good career win loss record numbers, and it was just really good. It, it's starting to see, um, you know, the ballot really start to round off now, and, and get guys in that uh, deserve to get in.
0: Yeah, we'll kind of fly through these uh, uh, one by one, player by player. Talk a little bit about them mm-hmm. briefly, and about some cards, some rookie cards cool ones to have in the collection and then of course we'll have to look a little bit towards 2020 and give some thoughts on that but for right now let's start with Mike Musina getting in. It was mm-hmm. his sixth appearance on the ballot. And like you said, he squeaked in. He was definitely tracking pretty well. But the thing you have to keep in mind with the, with the live kind of tracking that goes on, there's a selection. I think this year it ended up – I think it got cut off at about 56% of the ballot. And a lot of the guys who kind of hold their ballots close to the vest, right. they're definitely way more – um Strict in their voting they 're a little more old school, and you see a big selection of uh, the guys out there drop fairly significantly in terms of percent of vote they don 't really they 're not super generous with their votes, right. so he did squeak in he got seventy six point seven percent of the vote Um you've seen obviously uh-huh. he had a fantastic career in both Baltimore and New York. Did you expect him to get in this year or were you kind of not
1: sure? I did expect him to get in this year because he was tracking well over the past couple of years. He was trending upwards. He was in the 60s, I think, last year. And the the win-loss record, 270 wins, very similar numbers to Jim Palmer, although Jim Palmer won three Cy Young Awards and Messina didn't. <laughs> But we've seen his numbers are very similar to Jim Palmer's and he had been trending upwards. So I did expect him to get in. Although towards the end of this week, I was hearing some things. Oh, like he might drop out. And I was surprised to hear that he might drop below the 75%. And he was trending, you know, for the past couple weeks in the eighties. So I did not really think he would get that close to 75. Uh, and dropped to 76%. That was the shocker to me. But nonetheless, I'm glad he got in. I did think he deserved to be in. Uh, Very, very good pitcher for a lot of years with the Orioles and the Yankees. Consistently uh, 18, 19 wins a year. Finished in the Cy Young Award uh, top five about eight or nine times. So he was a very, very good pitcher. And the trend showed the past few years he was just going up and up each year. So uh, I felt, yeah, he was going to get in.
0: Yeah, he definitely had a great career in both Baltimore and New York. Got a little more exposure in New York, I would say, overall, though. I mean, he was certainly well-known in Baltimore as well, of course. Uh, I Last I had read, he's still undecided which cap he'll wear going in. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But in terms of the hobby, in terms of collecting uh, baseball cards, in your opinion, what's the uh, key rookie – to uh, collect if, well, if people are looking to build up their Hall of Fame personal collection it's, and they want to yeah, add Mucina. It's, it's the
1: 1991 Fleer Ultra update, and the reason why I'm, I'm going by that is because a PSA has a set registry called the Future Hall of Fame set registry, and that was the card they selected. Now, he, he does have other cards in 91. He has a 91 Leaf Gold Rookie, which is – um if I'm not mistaken it might be an insert or a parallel, but it's that's actually way more expensive than his ultra update uh it goes for an agenda 10 probably two three hundred dollars but the card to as far as base rookies go according to the the set registry is the gray bordered 1991. Flear Ultra Update. That's the same set that has the Bagwell rookie, the Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez rookie. So now that set all of a sudden it's becoming pretty big because now you have three Hall of Famers in that set with New Cena. So yeah, the one to get would be the ninety one Ultra Update. He does have an upper deck, but it's not as uh it's not the one that PS Stay has selected for uh, the future Hall of Fame set registry, which now they'll take out of that set and put into the post-war rookie Hall of Fame set registry.
0: Yeah, and of course, you have those options. It's nice to have a few different cards to choose from. I'm mm-hmm. um, sure Raw, you can get them at pretty good prices. Obviously, slabbed maybe a little more. I actually was mm-hmm. able to pick up a 91 Ultra uh, at the National last year out of a bargain box and a PSA 9. So, that's a cool slab to have in that Hall of Fame collection. Oh, yeah. So, really happy to pick that up. Of course, he has autographs and stuff like that. So, that's, that's one of the fun things if – whether you collect exclusively Hall of Famers or if you just collect to collect, like I'm someone who – I certainly focus on like Phillies and stuff like that, but I kind of collect a little bit of everything. So when I see a guy has a chance to get Hall of Fame, it definitely draws my attention and I like to try and pick up those cards. So it's neat oh, to uh, – it's neat to be like, all right, well, Mike Mussina is a Hall of Famer, and now I can look to maybe pick up some additional cards for the collection. Um, I right. have one of his autographs, and I have that rookie card, so I'm definitely happy to have him. Certainly someone I got to watch a lot growing up. The thing mm-hmm. I remember about him is how often he would bring a no-hitter late into the game, and unfortunately for him, he lost it every time. I believe it, it might have been... Maybe twice he lost it with uh, two outs in the ninth. So that's got to be uh that's got to be so yeah. rough to go that long. And uh,
1: give oh, up. absolutely, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they said tonight that he was he brought I think five times into the eighth inning and and uh, unfortunately lost them all. But um, that's the whole fun of baseball card collecting is also is not just the fun of collecting favorite players and, or your favorite teams, but the, the spec the speculation of finding cards or picking out rookies that you you know you see trending upwards, getting close to the Hall of Fame, and you want to buy that card before he does get into the Hall of Fame, and then when you see him get in the Hall of Fame, it's kind of it feels it, it does feel a little bit self satisfaction when you you know that you wow you picked up this card when you know before he was in. And now he's in. You he like this? It's fun seeing the value go up in the car. Just it's just a kind of a thrill uh when you do that. So it's, that's that definitely is part of the the whole hobby and baseball card collecting is picking out guys that you do speculative buying and you think that they have a shot to get, in. and when that happens, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and the hobby is one aspect of the Hall of Fame that's awesome. Um Honoring these players is another aspect, of course, and uh, kind of celebrating these players' careers is uh, incredible as well. And this next guy who got in on the first ballot, both you and I had the honor of being able to watch him as a Philadelphia Philly at the end of his career. Roy Halladay, obviously a lengthy career with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, everyone's aware of the unfortunate circumstances um, of his Early passing, passed way too long, but uh, just an unbelievable athlete, an unbelievable player, an incredible story. What he went through to make himself into a major league player, and not all, it, It's hard enough just to become a major league baseball player to to make it, but to pitch your way into the Hall of Fame is absolutely incredible. Uh, he got eighty five point four percent of the vote, uh, got a ton of respect, and. He didn't have the longest career, but he had a brilliant career. He was absolutely dominating for a decade, best pitcher in baseball, completed games, led the league by a wide margin during that span, threw shutouts, won a Cy Young in each league, was a top vote-getter in the Cy Young, I think like seven times, not the top, but one of like the top five. Um, Uh Obviously, once he reached Philadelphia, had thrown a perfect game against the Marlins, threw a no hitter in the postseason, which is only the second time that ever happened in uh, baseball history. Had a 203 and 105 record during the course of his career. So his win total wasn't exceptionally high, but I mean, his winning percentage was all time great status. Oh, yeah top one of the top uh top ones you know of all time i think he's in the top 5 or 10 uh his numbers are just off the charts good and unbelievably incredible pitcher and a guy that kind of helped model so many pitchers with his uh with his delivery and the way he went so uh yeah. an unbelievable career feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to watch him pitch and you know super excited um to see him get the recognition that he certainly deserved. Absolutely.
1: I mean, we saw him pitch here in Philadelphia. I remember when we, we found out that we were getting Roy Halladay, the thrill. It, it was uh, unbelievable. Well, you can't even describe that. You knew this guy was a great pitcher coming from Toronto. I mean, when we landed him, it was just amazing. Cole Hamill spoke highly of him tonight, saying his work ethic was incredible. Chase Sutley, who was known for having a great work ethic, always would be in the clubhouse during spring training, you know, early, early in the morning. He always was the first one there. And Chase said he walked in one day and Roy was already there at six o'clock in the morning on the bike. So, you know, the work ethic, there's work ethic and then there's Roy Halladay, which is above regular work ethic. What I'm glad to see the change here is the, the traditional numbers. Are They're stepping away from that. I was always kind of a guy that I always looked at to see if they reached the milestones, you know, the 300 wins or the 3,000 strikeouts, 500 homers or 3,000 hits, and they're definitely stepping away from that. You know, Roy, barely over 200 wins, barely over 2,000 strikeouts. They're not looking at the traditional milestone numbers anymore, which I'm glad because now they're taking a deeper look at other things. Uh, his ERA, his innings pitched—you know, at the top of the leaders board during his career—looking for a good eight to ten-year stretch of domination, which he did. And with, another thing about Roy is he's a last of a dying breed. He he pitched complete games, whereas today, as we know, guys don't even pitch past the sixth inning anymore. The only guy that out there today that has that old school mentality is Max Scherzer. But Roy Halliday is a last of a dying breed for a guy that would lead the league in complete games. So, workhorse extraordinaire. Um, but I'm glad that they're going away from the traditional numbers of the 300 wins and 3000 strikeouts and looking more at how this guy actually pitched and if he was at the top of the leaders board which he was every year for 10 years. So, good to see that they're they're finally changing their style of voting.
0: Yeah, and um you know, the same could be said for Mike Bucina. He obviously pitched in the AL East uh, his entire career. He was on the tough Yankees division. for a long while, so you could cross him off the list. But Halliday uh, pitched in the AL East for so long with the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays weren't exactly the uh, cream of the crop in that, in that division, one of the tough divisions in baseball. In fact, you went through a stretch there in the 2000s, where he may have been just about at his best, where he had the Yankees in the World Series several times, including a few World Series victories. You had the Red Sox win multiple World Series. You had the Tampa Bay Rays reach the World Series. I mean, you consistently had these championship caliber clubs you're pitching against, you know, 19 times a year. So I think that's something else to kind of keep in mind oh, a little bit with Halliday. I mean, he pitched against fantastic competition consistently. And you right. know, he, he really uh he really earned it. But in terms of the hobby, Halliday does not have a lot of rookie cards. He's got the nineteen ninety seven Bowman's Best, which is probably his most affordable rookie. It's a pretty nice car. Very nice draw. car too there are parallels yeah. that are really tough. Uh atomic refractors, which are just amazing looking and the refractor as well. Uh, the Bowman is definitely very neat. Uh, his most popular though would certainly be the Bowman Chrome. And I'd been mm-hmm. planning on picking one of those up in a PSA 10 the last couple years. And I'm kicking myself in the rear end now because <laughs> for some reason I just never pulled the trigger on it. And then by the time I went, why did I not get this yet? It was too late. He was tracking super, super highly in the, uh, in the early voting results and hit that card, that Bowman Chrome is uh-huh. a really tough card. I mean, I've watched a few box breaks and multiple times I've seen where you get either a Beltray or a Halliday. Obviously you might get both. They're not like inserts or anything, but you're not guaranteed a set out of a box of those. So it's not an easy card to get. And then there are a lot of centering issues and surface issues the pop report on the Gemmin ten is I forget the exact number, but I want to say it's right around a hundred. It's not if it's above that, it's not a whole lot more. So that's a super that tough is card. That's the card to get though, yeah. And that's a card that Definitely. went was around a hundred dollars and now it's more like four hundred.
1: Yeah, that's the card to get according to PSA. Uh what they had in the future Hall of Fame set registry was his Bowman Crown. So Yes, there's the Bowman's best. There's refractor cards out there, uh, awesome-looking cards. Uh, but the refractors, as you know, they're going to be really, really expensive. But the one to get is his 1997 Bowman Chrome, and yeah, that the uh, the Gem 10 just you know before even today was hitting uh, 275 dollars. God only knows now what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, It's going to be up there there for sure,
0: but uh, I'm uh, I'm really happy I jumped on the PSA 9 when I did. I feel like I got that Uh just in time before even that has now taken off. It's kind of just about doubled in price because now... There's so few 10s available and they're so expensive that people are jumping on that PSA 9. So it's a it's a cool rookie card to have for sure, especially if you're a yeah. fan of Halliday. If you're just a fan of baseball in general, it's great. The interesting thing with Roy Halliday for autograph collectors, obviously, as we know, his life ended prematurely. So he's not a guy that was ever in a ridiculous amount of products. Like, I mean, he signed in different products from time to time, but not a crazy amount. So he's going to be a guy, if you're into the autographs, whether it's memorabilia or cards, he's going to be a little pricey because there's just not as many of those autograph cards out there compared to – other Hall of Famers. It's kind of like that. Right. Unfortunately, the Tony Gwynn, Kirby Puckett situation for modern players. Obviously, the old school guys back before autographs were real popular. Extremely uh-huh. difficult. That's all another level, but I was fortunate enough yeah. to ha- pick up some holidays over the years, autograph wise. They're just uh, exceptionally cool cards in the collection, but it's definitely going to be a pricey yeah. one.
1: For sure. Definitely.
0: The next <laughs> guy who got in, the DH that... uh The Mariners people have been campaigning for like crazy over the years. He's (laughs) gone up and up and you could kind of see this trend coming a few years ago. There was, it was pretty clear that he was going to find his way in. Seems like there's a lot of people who are very pro Edgar Martinez and there's quite a few people who aren't necessarily huge fans of him. Uh, But he found his way in. He also, just like Halliday, got 85.4% of the vote. Had himself a very clutch career, exceptional professional hitter, hit over 300 home (coughs) runs, uh, 1,200 RBIs, 2,200 hits, 312 career batting average, so certainly a great hitter. Again, like you brought up with Halliday, not necessarily the compiler numbers that you would expect Mm -hmm. to see, but had a very good career, nonetheless, a now Hall of Fame career. Right. Yeah, I mean,
1: he was the level of consistency. Uh, he epitomized the DH role. He started off as a third baseman, didn't play that many years there, uh, moved over to the DH role. And I mean, they named the designated hitter award right now after Edgar Martinez. So yeah, he doesn't have, like we were saying, the traditional numbers now of, of 3,000 hits or 500 homers, but he did win the batting title and he was a fantastic hitter. Um, and he you're right, the Seattle Mariners definitely campaigned correctly for him because he as 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 little as only four years ago was in the twenties, percent wise. I mean, if you think about that, think about that for a second. This was year number ten for him. four years ago, year number six, he was at like twenty four percent. so that's an incredible leap in just four years. Talk about campaigning, that's really campaigning. So he he's made 20% jumps almost every year in the past four years. Uh, so I'm glad he got in on his last year of eligibility. It was nice to see him get in. I'm glad for him. Uh, he was a great contact hitter, clutch hitter, too. I mean, that's usually the terminology or the definition that goes next to his name was clutch. So...
0: I think a plus for him, too, was he had that signature moment. He had that moment, what was it, the 95 ALDS? 95, yeah. Yeah. Roped it down the left field line. Griffey scores to uh, advance in the postseason. That was certainly a cool moment and one that stuck in people's minds. I think a few things that helped him um, is, of course, the campaigning. The fact that he was a mariner for so long. I think he's identified as a Seattle Mariner. I think that certainly helps Flyers. And it helps uh-huh. with the campaign. I think that's what, unfortunately, was one of Fred McGriff's problems is exactly he, doesn't, he right. doesn't have much of an identity. He was a Devil Ray for right. a while. He was a Cub for a while. I think he was briefly a, brave, a Dodger. Yeah. You know him a little more huh. with the Braves. I think the Braves is kind of what I think of with him a little more. Obviously with Toronto right. as well. Uh, but none of these teams ever really took a hold and said, "Hey, let's uh, let's try and get Fred McGriff in." And, I do think that's something that just kind of hurt them because I feel like if you—that's exactly right—you can kind of convince people whether they realize it or not by uh, kind of pushing towards you know the player and kind of talking them up consistently. You can kind of you get a few people going and that builds that momentum.
1: Absolutely, It, it definitely helps when a player plays for one team his whole career or maybe two teams. But it's exactly what happened to Fred McGriff. He didn't have any team stand behind him to make a campaign. He played for six teams: Toronto, Atlanta, Dodgers, San Diego, a lot of different teams. The team that should have stood, stood up for him was the Atlanta Braves. I mean, he did help them win their their only World Series in, I think it was '95. And I'm and he played, you know, a, a quite a decent amount of years with the Braves, maybe five or six. So I'm surprised Atlanta didn't make a campaign for him. Uh, any team would love to have someone represent their organization to get into the Hall of Fame. He's had no campaigning, and he has no brand, and which is a shame. Four hundred ninety-three homers over fifteen hundred RBIs. He's got, and he dominated. He's—it's not a guy that compiled numbers. He acts—he actually dominated for a lot of years. But that's exactly why he has not gotten in. He hasn't had the backing of any particular team because he's played for six teams. That's unfortunate. I do think we're looking at Veterans Committee for yeah, him. Yeah, I was
0: gonna say I think there's enough um, enough baseball people that I do expect him to find his way in there for sure with the Veterans Committee too. at some point. Yeah. I thought I heard someone. I saw something that that he might be eligible next year. I, that seems odd. I. Is that correct or is that just it all depends
1: because there's there's different veterans committees. There's the one that voted Baines and Lee Smith this year called the Today's Committee, then there's the Modern Era Committee, then there's there's two more, I think there's three or four total, and not the same committee votes every year. So the one that voted this year, I think is the today's committee, doesn't vote again for another four years, but there's the modern Era one, which he could be eligible for that. And I have to look it up, but the modern era covers, I think, from the late 60s to the early 90s. And his rookie year was 86, so he has a few years in that time bracket. Uh, the today's era is the one was this year, I think, started from uh, the early 80s until like maybe the late 90s or early 2000s. So they have different committees, so he might be eligible for... One of them next year. And I I've said that there's no way he's going to get voted in, but the first time he's eligible on any one of those veterans committees, he'll get in.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when that comes, but I certainly expect him to find his way in at a certain point. Uh, real quick on Edgar Martinez in terms of the hobby, I would say the card to get in that is that 88 uh, Fleer, correct? Fleer. Mm-hmm. Is yep. that his only rookie? I can't remember offhand. That's his only well, right? I think he might have.
1: Uh, he might have a another card, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He could have a Donris.
0: I just remember the flare card, to- and I know I remember when I saw the PSA tens on them a couple of weeks ago. I was kind of surprised uh, at the price point they were at, considering that's you know the junk, like kind of the height of the junk wax era, '88. But I mean, it's, hey,
1: it's a terrible year. '88 is like. A, a, of really bad years.
0: Yeah, it's just it's it's tough though with the junk wax era cards. I mean, they weren't exactly the greatest of stock. A lot of people didn't necessarily take care of them. At a certain point, you know, you just you do have a lot of things that can go wrong in terms of centering and surface and stuff like that. So it's definitely a yeah, cool it, card. It is it nice to a- see something like that um, gain traction and popularity though.
1: Yeah, there is 88 was just not a really, really good year for for rookies. It says here that Edgar has the 88 Fleer and 88 Donruss rookies, so he has two, but the one that PSA recognized for the future Hall of Fame set
0: is the Fleer. The Donruss so, is probably one of those little subsets then, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, Donruss, the rookies set. So we did this year get our first unanimous election to the Hall of Fame. I was actually a bit surprised. Yep. I mean, I'm not someone who really worries about the percentage that much. You get in, you get in. I do think it's a little odd that we'd never had a hundred percent, especially like how did Babe Ruth not get a hundred percent? I don't know. <laughs> it's bizarre, but. Whatever, it never happened. Obviously, for years, people made statements by not voting for a guy purposely just to keep it um, where no one was at 100. But that has finally ended. Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer, the greatest relief pitcher in Major League Baseball history, 100% of the vote, got all 425. This is a guy that was just absolute money during the regular season, the postseason, just consistent, yep. one, one eighty two games out of the bullpen, two two one career ERA. His WHIP was an even <laughs> one, and he compiled six hundred and fifty two saves. Certainly helps that he was a New York Yankee, so you got those iconic pinstripes, and the fact that he was fortunate enough to pitch in the postseason a lot in the World Series multiple times, but an exceptional pitcher. Um, Unbelievable. Probably has the least coolest rookie card out of all these these newly elected Hall of Famers, but it's a tough one. It's an expensive one, specifically in that PSA 10. Um, Get the kind of Kmart, you know, Kmart early 90s at yeah photo shoot, but hey, it is <laughs> what it is right
1: It's the cabana pants or whatever he looks like he's ready to go sailing on that uh boat on that card ninety two bowman pretty uh it's a shame that the greatest relief pitcher of all time and the first player in the history of baseball to get a hundred percent and that's his rookie card where he looks like he's wearing white long pants with I don't know what kind of shirt, and he looks like he's ready to go yachting or sailing. It's, it's quite hilarious. Yeah,
0: his uh, second year card is in Bowman is just – his second Bowman card is so much better looking. Um, sure, anything would be better than that. <laughs> just about, but uh, <laughs> just an incredible career. Obviously, uh, saw him close out the Phillies in the World Series in '09. He had a lot of success. His his one one the one little blip in his career is that unfortunate uh World Series against the Diamondbacks where he got that blown save blowing the game seven where Luis Gonzalez chopped yeah. that one up the middle but in all honesty it wasn't like he got hammered in that inning I mean that was probably the right. weakest hit Luis Gonzalez had all year that I mean Gonzalez. Was on an incredible run, and that was not one of his uh, harder hit balls. I guess I think it was a broken bat, I'm guessing, on the splitter, but fell in there. The Diamondbacks were crowned World Series champions. But hey, Rivera was just unbelievable. What an amazing, amazing career!
1: Yeah, absolutely domination for sure. Um, what they were talking about earlier tonight was. It's funny you mentioned broken bat. They they said that he had to have led the league every year for breaking bats the most. He said, how, they asked him, how many do you think he used to break a year? He said about 50, 60 bats a year. So <laughs> it's amazing how Louisville Slugger doesn't give him any kind of endorsement thanking him for all these broken bats so they can make more. Maybe he, he got some with stock average, options or something. <laughs> at least. But he said he used to break about 50, 60 bats a year. There was one at-bat in particular against, I think you said, Chipper Jones, where in the same at-bat, Chipper Jones broke three, three bats in the, in the same at-bat. So his pitches, was just something about his pitches that he used to jam hitters and just break them all the time.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Really weird. And uh, in terms of hobby, I mean, he's been really popular for a long time. Being a Yankee, of course, yeah. helps. That rookie card has been... <laughs> inching up in price over the recent years and autograph wise his stuff's always really pricey so he's one of those guys if you want to collect you can definitely build a really nice mariano rivera collection by collecting base cards and inserts and all that stuff autographs are gonna for sure they're gonna be pretty pricey they're gonna approach that hundred dollar threshold and that rookie card of course is uh what's it up to in a psa 10 it's a couple hundred dollars right
1: Oh, it was more than that. Uh, last time I checked, um, a PSA ten was going for I think probably almost four hundred dollars, and that was a couple weeks
0: ago. Yeah, so the nine's um, gonna be obviously pretty pricey as well. And you know, you could always add an easily, eight, yeah. or just get it raw if you're comfortable buying that. But either way, I mean, he's well, the, he's not gonna the, be a super <laughs> cheap guy to collect if you want that rookie. No,
1: but. What I was thinking about earlier tonight, what I wanted to touch on with his rookie card is that, yes, when a player gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, that rookie card in the gem intent automatically is going to go up in value. But what I'm thinking what's going to happen possibly is that not only is it going to go up in value, but he's the first player to have 100%. Is it, I, think it, I think it can go through the roof because of that.
0: You know what else you yeah, might be, see? You might see some inscriptions that says "half 19, 100%. There'll be people paying for right. that.
1: That's going to be... I think the 100% is really going to make his value go up astronomically. I mean, just looking at the book value now on a 10, the VCP is $330. That's today. Tomorrow, if it wasn't, if he was at 99%, that $330 book price would probably go up to $430, $450. But now, with the 100% added in, I wouldn't be surprised if this hits five, six, seven hundred dollars 700 Who knows? Because it's a historical day to hit a 100%. Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr., Willie Mays. none of them got that. This is the first player to get that in the history of baseball. I can't think, I can't help but think that that's going to really do something to the value of those 10 or all of his rookie cards and all the grades.
0: Did you think he was going to get that 100%? I know that's what he was tracking out, but did you I, think that was going to happen? When, I,
1: when the voting started, I was like, absolutely no way, because of the same reasons you thought. Because if Babe Ruth couldn't get in, there someone's going to be – you know, a curmudgeon and not vote for him. But when I saw the tracking, even as late as today, I was like thinking, you know what? I think it's going to happen. I think it's actually going to happen. I think they're finally going to change their thinking um, and start doing it. So that means that, you know, Mr. Jeter next year will probably be another one.
0: Unless there's a Marlins writer, they might uh, hold out on them. We'll see. <laughs> but no, I, I I did think you'd have at least one or two guys who would hold out. But hey, I'm cool with it being over. That's been talked about every year I can remember with the Hall of Fame going back to being a you know oh, like yeah. a teenager. I've been hearing about this, so I'm I'm cool with that being like gone.
1: Tom Seaver and you know got real close, and how can you not vote for George Brad and? Nolan Ryan and these guys all got ninety seven, ninety eight percent. It's amazing that and not only did he get it, but it, we're thinking about it, it's a relief pitcher guy, a, a position that really rarely, never got in. So not only did a relief pitcher get in, he's the first first player to get a hundred percent, and it's a relief pitcher.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. exceptional. You know the really interesting thing too is you have all these debates about the current crop of players and I know a guy who's come up specifically in the hobby is a guy Aaron Judge who burst on the scene had an incredible start and obviously his rookies and his autographs and all that stuff is you know pretty hot the values are fairly high Uh, one reason is his on-field success and a big reason is his star power being a New York Yankee and I do think it's a risk because everyone points to his age he comes up at 25 You know, next thing you know, he's 26. And of course, it's going to depend on health. But if you look at the three of the guys who got in, Discount and Mike Mussina, these are not guys who got in and got that start at 2021. Mariano Rivera reached the major leagues at 25, and his first year as a closer at age 27. I'm sure Uh when he had his first big year, and he's a 27-year-old guy in his first year as a closer, people were not thinking this guy's going to compile 652 saves and find (laughs) his way to the Hall of Fame. And credit to him, he did it. He was able to pitch and be healthy there into the age of 43. But he got a late start, and he was able to compile the numbers. And it's the same exact deal with these other guys. You have Roy Halladay. He did come up to the majors at 21, but he really didn't have any sort of substantial success in a full season until the age of 25. He came Uh up, pitched pretty well, had a really big setback in his third year, went down to the minors, figured some stuff up, stuff out, and then next thing you know, a couple years later in 2002, at age 25, won 19 games. So, Uh he had a second you know, consecutive really good year there at age 26. You're not thinking of a 26-year-old with less than 50 wins as a guy who's going to end up finding their way to the Hall of Fame. And credit to him, he was able to do it. And he only pitched through the age of 36. He didn't hang around. He probably could have hung around for a few more years and certainly would have gotten jobs, but chose to kind of go out because he, I think, felt like he kind of pitched as best he could with the way the shape his body was in. And Edgar Martinez, just another guy, came up at 24 and didn't play a full season until he was 27 years old. And he really turned things on consistently at age 32. I mean, he had a pretty strong season in his age 29 year, but really got things going as a late bloomer, but was able to string together enough seasons and play long enough that uh, all three of these guys, based on their age when they came up, really kind of defied the the standard odds you'd expect to see. So credit to all of them. It just goes
1: to show you that, you know, I mean, yeah, it does help if a guy comes up at 20, 21 years old, but it's, uh, it, and I agree with you, if I see a guy come up at 25, I, I do kind of look the other way, but you never know uh, if the guy is that good of a player. And he comes up at 25 years old, and if the the key here is staying healthy at coming up that late. So if Aaron Judge can stay healthy for 12 years, you know, then he could possibly reach 500 homers and hit a milestone like that and get in. So it just goes to show you really don't know what's going to happen with the age if they start at 2021 20, or if they start at 24, 25. Uh, the Roy Halliday thing, it was also – they were saying that he had, I think, I don't know if it was first or second year, the highest ERA in the history of baseball was 10.64.
0: Yeah, the had highest the worst the year in the a guy he made a certain number of starts. So, yeah, he, right. he was a mess. And on the brink of having his career come to an end, he's willing to go down to – I think they said single A to – Kind of all work the on way things, to single line. reinvent himself and to cr- his credit, he uh, he not only made it back, he made it all the way to Cooperstown, so that's incredible. Ray, real quick, before we kind of take a look into the future, just want to touch real briefly on Lee Smith and Harold Baines. They were both both elected by the committee, and obviously there's been a lot of controversy. We don't really need to get into that. I think everyone has opinions on Harold Beans and a lot of people think he's a bit of a stretch but hey he found his way there but just want to touch on uh, some of the rookie cards that are out there for people who are looking to add uh add some more to their collection they may not be super familiar with uh the rookie cards available for Beans and Lee Smith.
1: Well, Harold Beans has uh the 81 uh Tops rookie He also has the 82, I'm thinking the Fleer rookie, and I don't think he has a Donruss. He he does have an 82 Fleer and an 82 Tops, but doesn't have the, uh, I'm sorry, 81. He has an 81 Tops and an 81 Fleer, but he doesn't have uh, a Donruss Clark. So the one they get that is everyone's looking at right now is his tops card. It's got a green border to it. Actually, not a bad looking card. Um,
0: what so is that th- price that's, wise that's now? Because the, the hilarious thing is he was so kind yeah. of off the radar mm-hmm. that his PSA nines well, right were like eight bucks, and they kind of jumped to like one fifty there in that uh, early stretch. I in don't the know same, how much the they've same leveled day, off. Yeah. Are they still around the, the same? Day. That's
1: the, the, right now the VCP price on the on the PSA nine is one hundred fifty dollars, and on the Gem in ten is three hundred thirty dollars.
0: That is uh, so. That's pretty incredible. unbelievable.
1: Yeah, the day he was inducted on eBay, the the PSA nines were selling for about fourteen dollars, and six seven hours later they were all gone. And the next day we we'll have what we have right now, which is one hundred fifty dollars for a PSA 9. Unbelievable. Just so, it just goes to show you that the Hall of Fame has a major impact on the values of these cards, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, especially if it's a low-pop card or a card yes. that's not available in extreme supply.
1: Right, and, and it's a low-pop because no one really thought to get that card graded, but I think that that pop is probably going to go up now. Uh, the pop on a Gemman 10, there's only 33. And on the nine, there's a decent amount of nines. There's 382. But I expect that to go up because I'm think, I'm sure people are going to be digging them up now and submitting them to get graded. So I do expect that top to go up.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt at some point that'll come back. If you're looking to get a high-grade Harold Baines, it's probably not the time. I would hold off no, for quite now. a while. But if you can find it raw at no. a good price, why not? Definitely not sure. – uh, Not a bad one to pick up. Um, Any uh, quick thoughts on Lee Smith before we move on?
1: Lee Smith I loved. I thought Lee Smith – now, Lee Smith, the the ballot goes for 10 years, but Lee Smith was on for 15 because back then uh, the writers, the BBWA, uh, you were allowed to be on the ballot for voting for 15 years. When they changed it to 10, he was probably on like his 10th or 11th year. They kept him on, they grandfathered him, pretty much, to be able to stay on until and finish his 15-year ballot, which is what it was when he first started. And um, he didn't get in. He, I think the highest percentage was 50-something percent, which I can accept. That's good. And um, then his first-year eligibility on the, vet, the Veterans Committee, he got in. And uh, to me, when he retired, he was the all-time saves leader. Before Trevor Hoffman, before Mariano Rivera, he retired. I think in the late '90s, he had over 400 saves and was the all-time leader. And he was a dominating, intimidating closer, menacing on the mound. Six foot five guy looking down at you with the scale-looking face was frightening. And I, I, when I saw him, I did look at a Hall of Famer. That's how good I thought he was. So I'm amazed that he didn't even get in during the 15 years of of voting uh but nonetheless the veterans committee voted him in and uh he's got the 82 he's got three he's got an eighty two tops eighty two fleer and the eighty two donors and if I'm not mistaken the fleer one is kind of an error card I think
0: and I think his stuff's a little more affordable than the Harold Baines phenomenon right uh yeah uh
1: for let's see the eighty two uh, Tops, Lee Smith, I mean, I'm going to say roughly, just without even looking, the 82 Tops, uh, Lee Smith right now is going for, and a PSA 9, it's, it's roughly about $50, and a 10 is going for like 385 so anything in a 10 is just going to be astronomical.
0: Yeah, a 10 but is always going to uh, you know, be the most sought after card, I mean... You can settle Mm -hmm. a little lower from time to time and save yourself some money. But generally speaking, uh, a lot of people are targeting that 10. They want the perfection. They want the highest rating if they're doing it, if they're trying to uh, build up that uh, collection. And uh, a lot of people definitely put a lot of value in the rarity and the perfection and the price and what the future price may be. But let's take a look well, at, finish your thought.
1: No, I was going to say that his FLIR card, he does have an error card. Um, he has two, he has a correct version and an error version of FLIR. Both are same number card, 603. There's a correct one and the error one, uh, the Cubs logo is reversed on the back. So I'm surprised that one actually isn't the one to get uh, more so than the tops, but um, you can get a 9 for that in like $11, and a 10 only 50 And that's the error one. So it's just strange. But yeah, I, I thought I, – I was I was pretty sure that his Fleer card is an error card because the Cubs logo on the back is, is reversed. It's a, like a backwards C.
0: We certainly touched on a lot of Hall of Famers. There were six <laughs> this year. Now, six. next year, we're going to just spend a couple minutes on this. Next year, I would suspect there will be a lighter class – We'll see what happens with any type of committee voting. I'm not really sure what's going to go on there, but the holdovers have made some interesting moves, so there's some guys to keep an eye on there, but before we touch on that, the first time, guys, next year's list is it's kind of, kind of weak, and there's a <laughs> lot of guys that That's you can true. essentially eliminate immediately and they'd be lucky to get one vote. Um, once you finally find a few interesting names, you have a guy like Paul Canerco, who had a Really nice career, four over four hundred homers, fourteen hundred RBIs at 279. I would think he'll get some votes. Uh, certainly I would expect enough votes to remain on the ballot, but I don't think he's gonna make a ton of uh, I don't I don't think he's gonna make a ton of noise specifically early on. You have a guy like Alfonso Soriano who probably put up better numbers than people remember. Of course, he was involved in an era where those numbers were a little more common, but he did compile 412 homers and over 1,100 RBIs, 270 career hitter. I don't think his sabermetric stats uh, really work to his advantage, though. They're certainly a little lower. Josh Beckett, I mean, certainly had some dominating moments in his career, but Did not do enough for any kind of real consideration, in my opinion. Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee had a couple Hall of Fame caliber seasons, but definitely did not do it long enough at all. Jason Giambi definitely was involved in the steroid controversy over the years. Uh, Another guy who had over 400 homers and 1,400 RBIs, had a really nice career, but I don't really see any of those guys garnering much interest. Bobby Abreu, very underrated player really underrated offensive player what he did in terms of stolen bases and extra base hits and you know had some power for sure a lot of RBIs almost 2500 hits I I think he's another guy that will garner enough votes to stay on the ballot for at least a couple years but I don't think he's a legitimate contender either I think the only guy who is really deserving and that will absolutely get in is Derek Jeter. The question will be, will he get a hundred percent or not? Who knows? It doesn't matter. He's getting in uh, no matter what (laughs) he's going to be a guy Uh who gets 95% of the vote or higher, you know, between 95 and a hundred. I would, Probably bet between ninety nine and one hundred. So, Derek Without Jeter, first ballot guy, there, right? Nothing, uh, absolutely nothing, nothing too uh, earth shattering with that. Without
1: and a doubt, yeah. I mean, the does, only other guy for a first ballot is Adam Dunn, but Adam Dunn, he does have four hundred sixty two homers. He 237 came two thirty seven for a baton um,
0: average, will probably is, that's uh, that's hurt him really bad. A bit. Yeah. So, but um. The thing with Jeter is obviously he is the legendary 93 SP, one of the Mm -hmm. iconic cards of the 90s. That thing is, I mean, cross that off the list if you want a 10 or a 9 or maybe even an 8. Depends on your budget, of course. That card slabbed is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And it's so sensitive that I'd. Honestly, be a little wary of buying it raw. That's the card to get if you can afford it. But if not, there's definitely a few other cards you can pick up uh, for Jeter if you're just looking to pick up a rookie that's at an affordable price. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, after his SP, his next best one is Tops Stadium Club Murphy. And uh, there's another one that's an all black border card, a Pinnacle, which is another great card. Uh, his fourth best is probably the Bowman. Uh, and then he has the white card, which is tops. He has score select. There's a, you. You can choose from like I've been telling people for the past couple of years. I, the SP's out of range, no doubt. Look at the Stadium Club Murphy. Look at the Pinnacle or the Bowman or the Tops, and, and they're all going to go up in value. Uh, so people have a year <laughs> to start looking at the. The second, third, fourth, the Jared Jeter rookies because they're all going to follow.
0: I always like that tops card too. I think it's a pretty cool rookie card. I sadly oh, it's nice. do not currently own one. I certainly did at one point, like way back years ago. So I need to get on top of that and pick one up at some point while it's quite affordable. But hey, Derek Jeter's sure shot. Surefire Hall of Famer. The question will be, will anyone else be elected next year to go on with him? You have a guy like Kurt Schilling who's made a lot of progress. He's up over 60%. To me, if Mike seen in the Hall of Fame, then Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame. they are had very similar careers. Bucina a little healthier throughout his career, so he compiled more wins. But in terms of ERA and all those numbers, I mean, it's super close. And then Schilling really has that... Uh, icing on the cake, unbelievable uh postseason experience where he had World Series and uh NLCS and ALCS and all those playoff numbers are great. I mean one one awards in the postseason was just money in the bank. So to me Kurt Schilling's yeah. certainly a Hall of Famer. I know he's talked his way under the bad side for some people, but there's nothing controversial about his career. Absolutely, should get in there. The question is, will he oh, garner enough support for it to be next year? You have Clemens and Bonds continuing to trend up. I've heard a few people kind of question whether they can get enough support to get up to 75 because they only have a couple years left. We'll uh, continue to learn more information. I don't know that it'll be next year, but perhaps in that final year. We'll see. Uh, a really interesting guy is uh, Larry Walker. He's continued to to see his number increase. So he, I think, has an outside shot. He still has a lot of... A lot of ground to make up, but he's got a shot. Omar Vizquel's continued to trend well, and I would probably forget about just about the rest of them. Scott Rowland, he's still pretty early on in the process, but he's definitely been garnering a little more support. Would have a a really long way to go. Todd Helton, you know, he's got enough time as well, but I think everyone else is probably toast until they, uh, find their way onto a committee ballot in the future.
1: I I agree totally with that. Uh, Clemens and Bonds only made a 3% increase this year from last year, 56% last year to 59. Uh, They have three years left. Um, I don't see them getting from 59 to 75 next year. I predicted they would get in in 2021, but now I'm not so sure because they only did a 3% increase this year. So they still have to go 16% over the next three years. So I don't think it's going to happen now in 2021. I think if it's going to happen, it, it's going to be under last year, which would be 22. And a lot of players do get a jump on the last year. So what's going to help is after next year, when Jeter's voted in, there's no surefire Hall of Famers after next year, so they could start to get some votes. But this was a bad day for Clemens and Bonds because for any shot really, they needed to go from fifty six percent last year to at least the mid sixties this year. And they were trending in the low seventies this whole time. Seventy one, seventy-two percent. So I thought for sure they were gonna at least finish around sixty four, sixty five. To see them finish at fifty nine, I'm not so sure right now what's gonna happen. If it's gonna happen, it's it's gonna be the last year. And these voters, that's probably their punishment. They're going to, they're probably saying, yeah, we are going to vote them in, but we're going to make them sweat. We're going to make them wait until the 10th and final year. That's the only logical reason I think what's going on right now, because to me, whether they did or they didn't before the time they did it, they were Hall of Famers anyway. So I think that's the only thing that's going on right now is that they're making them sweat and making them wait for the last year. Kurt Schilling. Uh, Peter Gannon said tonight that he thinks it's going to be Jeter and Schilling, but Schilling finished at 60% today. He did jump up about 7 or 8% from last year, so he did have a nice jump this year, uh, but he still has a little ways to go. Uh, if not next year, I definitely think the year after. He is definitely going in. I agree. He was on par with uh, Mike Mussina. Kind of similar careers.
0: I think the Only advantage that Bonds and Clemens have, and you could lump shilling into this should he not get in next year, is you know, you mentioned there's no big names coming up, and I just looked at the 2021 ballot, and that is truly awful. Not that these guys weren't good players, but there's no one you would even really consider. I mean, Tim Hudson had a good career. I don't know that he was consistent enough to really, I mean, I don't know that I'd even expect him to get over that 5%, maybe. Mark Burley, obviously well-known <laughs> well, well known for some of the incredible performances, uh, no-hitters and such. But again, he, he's not a Hall of Fame guy. Aramis Ramirez had a nice career, but didn't do enough to garner more than a few courtesy votes, in my opinion. And after that, I mean, yikes. It's Nobody. It's really rough. And then – Twenty twenty not not a whole lot, not much better. You do have Alex wow. Rodriguez, who, of course, numbers wise is a lock, but obviously now that's going to th- be. There's a lot of controversy with with him. I mean, two thousand RBIs and nearly seven hundred home runs, but there's controversy, so you can't expect him to get in. And then you have. David Ortiz as well, who's got some controversy around him hovering over his head, but he does seem to get a major pass from a lot of people. So maybe it doesn't hurt him as much, but I still would be pretty surprised if he got in on a first ballot. Teixeira, fantastic player, didn't really necessarily dominate enough. Jimmy Rollins, who's a guy that Jenny Rollins you and I both like, but I'd be – unbelievably stunned if he got in right away I think he's a guy who will have to wait for a little while and outside of that 22 is a big year outside of that though it's I mean Juan Rebe Jonathan Papelbaum <laughs> Jeff Francor <JPB. laughs> I don't think you're gonna see those guys uh, getting in Coco Crisp so it, it's a lot of guys who <laughs> you know had had their time in the sun Ryan Howard's gonna be on that ballot as well guy who was on track for a while but certainly didn't do it long mm-hmm. enough. So I think with those ballots not having any absolute locks, I, I think that gives Bonds and Clemens, you know, maybe a clearer path. I do think they have a lot of way to long way to make up. There's a lot of people who resent um what they were involved in. So that it's gonna be hard to sway sway those decisions, but hey if they're going to get in, it's, it's going to be a big year going to be because in twenty
1: twenty two, issues. Yeah, big year that year. We have the first year of Alex Rodriguez and the last year of Clemens and Bonds and David Ortiz. Those four guys that year. You want to talk about drama that year? 2022 is going to be a really drama year. That year is bonds going to get in as Clemens going to get in. This is their last year and it's just going to come down. It's going to be a nail biter that year.
0: It should be fun. But if you're just looking to invest in some rookie cards, some credit cards or just raw, whatever your preference is based on the future, pick up some cheap Derek Jeter's while you can and maybe try and grab that 89 downers Kurt Schilling while it's very affordable Outside of that, Absolutely. I don't think there's anyone who's a lock to pick up right now unless you get some interesting names on that uh, on those veterans keys in the I, next few years. I would think Omar Vizquel is trending
1: upwards, his 89 upper deck. He's part of that iconic 89 upper deck set. Um, I picked him up last year in a Gemman 10 for about $20. To um, so I, I don't think that's a bad idea to get him. Uh, I can see him maybe in another two, three years, in like year four or five for him. Last year, I think he had thirty-five percent, and this year he finished at forty-two. So he's trending upwards. That's not a bad, uh, a bad choice to get. But yeah, I I still would say to go after Fred McGriff because I do think he's going to get in the Veterans Committee.
0: Either way, we get to look forward to baseball season coming up soon. Then once uh, yeah, uh, once we roll through to the later latter portion of the summer. You get these Hall of Fame inductions, which will be a lot of fun. Maybe a trip to Cooperstown, which will be a blast. And then we oh, start God, all yeah. over again. We get to follow all, <laughs> the, uh, all the interesting possibilities with the Hall of Fame. It's certainly an aspect of the sport, which is exceptional. It's amazing to uh, look back on the history of the game. It's great to debate. It's a lot of fun to follow. And then of course, it enhances the hobby experience. Maybe you just like to collect Hall of Famers. Maybe it just reminds you of guys that you want to collect. And maybe you're into the uh, kind of looking ahead and picking guys up, picking cards up, semi-investing, not necessarily looking to retire on it, but trying to get cards to the best possible value, that's definitely a challenge and can be a lot of fun. So, Hall of Fame's fun. Yeah. Ray, I had a blast talking to you today. I hope you, uh, hope you did the same. If you have any final thoughts, Absolutely. I would provide them right about now. I
1: appreciate you having me on. The Hall of Fame is really near and dear to my heart. I love thinking about the hall of fame and looking at players that who could get in and speculative buying and looking at cards that you've seen players uh, look at the tracking, look at the trending and seeing if guys are going up like the Biscells and the McGriffs and all that. And if you've seen players trending up, go for it because before you know it, they could be on the hall of fame too. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's not just about the monetary value of it. It's, it's, it's just fun, uh, buying something that, you know, on a lower price and watching it pan out and you just feel great about it. It's just a little self-satisfaction on that, but you know, it's, it's having fun with it. And, loving what you do and the hall of fame is just a it's a big part of collecting always has been
0: yeah the most important part of this hobby is enjoying it having fun with it like you like to say collect what you like and mm-hmm. if you love the hall of famers do it if you love any aspect of the hobby Be a part of it. I think another thing that can be a lot of fun if you can get the boxes cheap is kind of going back in time and opening some of the retro wax where some of these guys uh, are rookies. And some of it you can get at affordable prices. It's not like 88 Fleer is going to bankrupt you. Stuff like that can be a lot of fun. (laughs) That can be kind of cool. I know I personally have been looking at boxes in 97 Pullman Chrome lately. I haven't had the guts to pull the trigger yet. It's not cheap, but it's not crazy expensive so I don't know that'd be something that'd be fun too to kind of go back in time Absolutely. and uh, see all the rookies and obviously the few that panned out in that set you really kind of had two you have now Hall of Famer Roy Halliday and Future Hall of Famer, that's Adrian awesome. Beltray, But hey, that's all for a discussion later. appreciate everyone listening to this episode of Hobby Talk. If you listen to this on iTunes, would really appreciate you rating it. That definitely helps promote the podcast a little bit. Same deal with SoundCloud. And of course, on YouTube, if you listen to it on YouTube – Appreciate you sharing the video, liking the video, and posting your comments and thoughts down below. Ray will be checking out the comments as well. Hopefully I get him to uh, respond or answer any questions you guys have, and I'll do my uh, part as well. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great one.